Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Michael Hyatt, one of the top bloggers in the world and chairman of Thomas Nelson Publishers, uh, author of the book we're going to talk about today, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, How to Break Through and Be Heard. So, Michael, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. Glad to be with you. And, and I have to publicly share with my listeners, Thomas Nelson uh, is the company that actually uh, published Duct Tape Marketing. So uh, we have, uh, even though I think, I guess this is the first time we've done an interview, Michael, we, we have a long history of sorts. Well, I, I'm glad we share the same publisher. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Is this, this is book number one for you, right? Well, actually, I'd, I've written several books before, but my most recent one before this was a book on life planning called Creating Your Personal Life Plan. Okay. But this is the first book book I've had in a while. Well, and you actually have written quite a bit about that topic or leadership um, and topics around that on, on your blog at Michael Hyatt. That's, those, those are kind of have been the primary topics, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. I write on leadership, productivity, social media, publishing, those, principally those uh, topics. So a lot of times, you know, this word platform has gotten a lot of uh, airplay of late. Uh, it's, it's certainly in the author and publishing world used to, used to really talk about the, the author's reach and, and network. And, and I know when I was first hiring an agent, you know, they were throwing around the word, you know, the, you know what they want to hear about your platform, you know, that kind of thing. And, but, but it seems like, you know, certainly in the online world, we're talking about it now. We're talking about it as businesses being platforms. Um, and so, you know, maybe give me a, a sense of, you know, what, a, what is a platform in kind of your definition? Well, if you kind of go back to the, the basic understanding of a platform, it was that thing you stood on anciently to get heard. So it might have been a small hill or a you know, wood stage or now big giant metal stages for rock concerts. But it's basically the, the mechanism by which you get visibility and amplification with an audience. And today, I think the thing that's distinctive with social media is that it's made up of people. So it's your fans, your followers, your customers, your prospects, all the people that, that make up your uh, what Seth Godin calls your tribe. Well, now, and and I think there the natural inclination is to think, okay, I'm if I have a business or I'm a business owner or I'm a speaker or you know all the people that might actually have a sort of prospective client need, if you will, to build a platform. But I think you, in fact, I, I know that you take it a little farther than that, and I've heard others do the same to to think in terms of pretty much anybody that works in in a company, uh, can, can actually use this strategy. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I mean, I think all of us are fighting to get attention today, to get noticed in a busy world where there are a lot of messages, there's a huge amount of noise, and to try to just get our voice heard above that, whether we're working in a corporation trying to get a product or service that we're marketing noticed, or we're in a small business especially, where we're trying to get connected to a marketplace that will understand and appreciate you know, our terrific service or product, or just uh, our own personal brand, if we're an author or a speaker or whatever. I think in all those situations, we're all still living in the same environment of noise where we're trying to break through the clutter and get heard. Yeah, and I'm actually uh, working on, my listeners have heard me talk about this, I'm actually working on my next book, um, and, and it's really essentially going to be a sales book, and mm. that's certainly one of the things I'm, one of the premises of the book is this idea of making yourself indispensable, as a salesperson, making yourself indispensable both to your company and to your clients by building a bit of a platform. Well, and, and here's kind of the uh, the part of it that nobody really talks about, when you, but when you create a platform, when you're in a corporation, 
it kind of makes your career and your life portable. In other right. words, you can leave right. that job and you still got a tribe of people that want to hear from you. And you might be able, I've certainly been able to do this, but be able to monetize that or create sales or other business contacts out of it. And while you're working for a corporation, it accrues to the benefit of the corporation. But when you leave, you take it with you, which yeah. is a pretty cool thing. Well, and, and I guess you could also make a case on the other side of that is it, it also makes it, it, it also makes that corporation make you want to stay. It really does. And I tried <laughs> to do that when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson is encourage people to blog and encourage them to get active in social media. Right. And, and part of that, John, was that I think customers out there fans, people that want to connect with you, want to connect with real humans, not these impersonal institutions. Right. So the more uh, companies can encourage their people to get out there and put a real face on the company, the more loyalty it creates for the company. So it, it really works for both parties. It's a win-win. Yeah. So I, one of the things I found um, it was a bit of a surprise to me was that you started off the book really talking about a product. And, I mean, again, my yeah. thinking is, the platform is more the individual or the individual's voice or the individual's expertise that people come to, to know and like. But you talk a lot about building this product. So, so help me understand why you started there. Yeah, I actually, you know, I give five directives in the book. And the first one is called Start With Wow. That's the first part of the mm -hmm. book. There's 10 or 12 chapters there. But uh, David Ogilvy, who was this great advertising sure. genius about two generations back, said this, and I love this. He said, great marketing only makes a bad product fail faster. So if you don't give attention to really having a great service that wows people or a great product that wows people, it's not going to help you to get word of mouth. This is why bad movies die in a couple of days in the world of social media is because everybody has a megaphone and everybody's connected to everybody else. So if you don't get the product right from the get-go, you're in real trouble. And, and conversely, the opposite is also true. If you've got a great product, and you've got a great service, then getting the word out, people naturally want to evangelize or talk about it to their friends, and that helps you in the marketing effort. Well, so, in a, I mean, can you make a case for saying then that the product becomes a platform, or do these have to be sort of dual, you know, kind of congruent paths? No, well, I think they do have to be congruent. I say it this way, content is king, or the product is king, but the platform is queen. It really shouldn't be an either-or thing. Mm -hmm. But it definitely is a reciprocal thing. And the best example I can point to is Apple. You know, if you go into one of their uh, retail stores in a mall, the entire mall may be dead, no traffic going on. But go inside that Apple store, <laughs> right. and people are talking about those products. And Apple spends an unbelievably small amount of money on marketing. What they do create is insanely great products that sort of market themselves because people want to talk about them. Yeah. I would, I would say their maybe their biggest asset might be though the the attention to design. I think that's <laughs> that has a lot to do. With, I mean, every all the way down to the package, every you know every piece of that, and that goes into your uh, to your wow. Um, you know, a everybody cites Apple. Everybody says. I mean, every I think everybody who starts a company probably at least knows that they are going to do better if they wow. <laughs> so so you know, obviously that's not. I don't think there's anybody that's going to read your book and go, oh, why didn't anybody tell me that? You know, right. but, but what stops people from doing it? Why don't, we, why don't we all just naturally do it then? You know, I think a lot of it is just fear. You know, we get in a situation, and this, I've seen this happen in corporations especially, where you, know, you have that first vision meeting about a product and everybody's pumped up, and then you go back to your desk and you've been hit with you know, a ton of email and phone calls, 
And you go back to the meeting where there was some deliverable related to that original vision, and everybody kind of looks at it. You know, the, the kind of the shines off the apple, the fizz is out of the bottle. It's not quite what you expected initially, but hey, you're busy, and it's just not worth speaking up and, you know, getting uh, everybody else wrath. So you just kind of let it go. You acquiesce to the committee. And I think it's easy to do in our lives is just not stand for something greater but to just kind of let it go and not be courageous. And I think that's the beginning of when it dies and when we begin to settle for mediocrity. Yeah. So I, I think a great deal of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in this assumption, uh, of you have built a very nice uh, platform, and, and I think that uh, you've done it by being one of the kind of early, certainly one of the early CEOs, but but maybe early in general to blogging. And you spend a lot of time talking about that in the, in the book, and I'm certainly a proponent of it. But if... You know, you talked about this competition and things. You know, certainly there's competition for building a platform in blogging these days. I, you know, I, I, benef- I benefited from being uh, early on, but I, I, you know, I wonder if somebody's out there thinking, okay, they're telling me I need to be blogging to build a platform. Uh, you know, do, is is that ship sort of sailed? And if I'm not, you know, the CEO of a <laughs> of a of a large publishing company, uh, you know, am I going to be able to get my voice heard now if I want to jump into blogging? You know, it's a totally legitimate question. And let me just give you a little bit of history that I think will help illuminate this. In 2004, I started blogging, and I became the, uh, the CEO of Thomas Nelson in 2006. But I was already the president of the company when I started. Mm-hmm. But for the first four years, I had less than 1,000 readers a month. And being the CEO or being a president didn't really help me. <laughs> and I think that's because for most of us, I mean, how many other CEOs do you read? I mean, CEOs are typically kind of boring. You expect them to give the the company spin, to not really say anything necessarily uh, unusual or, you know, remarkable. And so I think in many ways it worked against me. I think I still had to say things that were helpful to people, that added value to their lives. And the great thing about getting into it now is that a lot of people like me have gone before and made a lot of the mistakes. And so even though it's, you know, my, my platform today, I have about 300,000 unique visitors a month now, but for four years, less than a thousand. But the thing about it is I've made so many of the mistakes and documented them and spelled them out in the book. So I think it's possible to get there faster today. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's still an enormous untapped opportunity for most people. If, you know, they have the formulas, if they have the strategies that can help them get there. So probably the most traditional uh, concept that we think of when we think of platform is getting up on the podium, as you mentioned. So um, how big an aspect do you think that a person's willingness to get good at communicating a message, say, from a speaking platform is to this whole piece of the puzzle? Or can we just do it all online now? I think you have to use whatever means you've got access to and whatever means you're good at. You know, I, Gary Vaynerchuk is a great example of a guy that started uh, winelibrary.tv, wrote a best-selling book called Crush It. And he was a guy that, you know, didn't write. Uh, basically what he did was he got on and done the, did these short uh, couple-minute videos of wine reviews. And they were brilliant because he was so authentic. I, I remember one of them that I saw was wine pairings with breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. which was just hilarious and yeah. got him a lot of notoriety. But the point is he used where, what he was strong at, which was communicating in these two-minute video snippets. Some people do podcasts like you're doing here. Um, I know some guys that do great podcasts, but they're not great at blogging. 
Some people are marvelous public speakers. The point is, is to take a platform, take your strengths where you give expression uniquely and make use of it, capitalize on it. And now uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, w will never be published by Thomas Nelson, uh, but he is very colorful, isn't he? He, he's quite colorful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so you point out a lot of, a number of folks, and I'm not going to pick on anyone individual individually, uh, but you point out a number of folks in your book that have built large platforms that I just, because I sort of run in these circles as well, are not really making very much money doing this. So there's really that balance I think that a lot of people are sort of trying to strike in that, yeah, we want all these numbers, we want all these followers, we want to pay attention to them, isn't that great? But at some point you have to monetize this. And, and I think that's a part that a lot of people still, uh, as I said, even some, some pretty big names in terms of, of follower counts, if you will, um, struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got, you've got to have a specific sales strategy. And for me, you know, casting in the, nest, in the net broadly, whether it's my email newsletter list or my presence on Twitter or Facebook, that's like the top of the sales funnel. You know, I want to draw those people into a deeper relationship, a more engaged relationship uh, with me to the point where, and I'm pretty transparent with this, I do want to monetize it. You know, I've got, I've got products that I want to sell. I give away a lot in order to entice them, you know, into the funnel. But ultimately, you know, I want to be able to serve them by selling them something. And I think it's true in corporations, too. And, and, and by the way, John, one of the sort of the reverse of that is I know some people that don't have right. very big uh, followings, uh, at least if you look at their web uh, right. statistics of their follower account, yet they're making buku bucks. Yep. Because they figured out how to monetize it. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that that's that's. That's as much of the point I was trying to make as anything is that I, I think that it, and you, you hit it on the head, it's that overall pl plan. I mean, it's the objective of, hey, I'm going to be on Twitter because that's going to lead somebody to sign up for my newsletter that's going to allow me to build an even deeper relationship that leads me to the 79, to the 299, to the, you know, 5,000. <laughs> and and yeah, I think exactly. that's, that's the part that people sort of forget when we get all caught up in the frenzy of, look how many friends I have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can't be filled with that. <laughs> that's right. So uh, where does... I, I I mean, a lot of what you talk about in the book and what we've talked about today uh, has to do with the online world for obvious reasons. Uh, where does the online or offline, uh, excuse me, world sort of fit into all of this in terms of of your platform and extending your platform? Well, I'm still a bigger, a big believer in face-to-face -face relationships, and so many of these online relationships, whether it was on Twitter or Facebook or through my blog have um, matured into face-to-face -face relationships, face-to-face -face business contacts, and, frankly, sales for my uh, company. But I, I still think you've got to get there. You know, you can do a lot of business online, but I think that there's still a lot of opportunity left in face-to-face. -face. So don't think that just because I'm advocating or anybody's advocating online that that makes all the face-to-face -face stuff obsolete. But it can really enhance it, and it can also initiate it. Yeah, yeah. I always tell people that it really allows you to speed those relationships up in a, in, in a way. You know, if you connect with somebody on LinkedIn and then you see the the last five things they've done on Facebook, all of a sudden maybe you have some common ground. You know, much faster than the next time you see them at that chamber of commerce meeting. 
Yeah, so so true. It builds rapport and builds the kind of conversation that can happen offline that, again, turns into sales. Um, you are, because this is going to publish by the deadline, uh, you are running a special kind of, uh, not a special necessarily, but you're for launch, uh, uh, you're going to, you've collected some bonuses that, that are really, that's the only opportunity somebody's going to get, uh, and, and they can be acquired at michaelhyatt.com. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was to try to drive the bestseller list. And as you know, John, that's all about getting as many books through the system as you can in a, in a specific week. That's right. So this is launch week. And so as an incentive to get people to buy the book this week, and by the way, they can buy it from any retailer out there, doesn't matter, and then email me the receipt, and I give the specific instructions at platformbook.com, and uh, tell them how to do that. But if they do buy the book this week, Seven bonuses were $375.98, which includes a six-part video series that I did on platform, all the electronic editions of the book, including you know Kindle, um, iBooks, Nook, all of that, the unabridged audio of the, of the book, and then a couple of other eBooks and a few other goodies. So that's this week only, and unlike some marketers will tell you, when this ends on May the 25th, this really does go away forever. I'm trying to get people to act this week. That's right. Well, great. Um, I have one. I want to kind of end up just, and this is off, well, it's related to the book, but it's really more about the book industry. Um, and, and you don't have to, you don't have to speak for Thomas Nelson in this regard, um, okay. if, if you don't wish. But I'm just curious. I'd love to get your take on, you know, where are we headed in the publishing industry with, you know, all of you just mentioned uh, the electronic formats. Uh, you certainly are seeing, uh, as people are being able to build these platforms, uh, you're certainly seeing some people exploring self-publishing at a, at a much different way than maybe they did 10 years ago. Where, what do you think the future holds for publishing of books? I, I think it's all about options going forward. You know, the, the author or the person who wants to be an author today has an, a number of options available to them. Certainly the self-publishing is a tremendous option, and it doesn't have the stigma that it once did. Sure. But it's not as easy as sometimes you would think. You know, sometimes people emphasize the publishing without emphasizing the self part of that equation. So there's <laughs> a lot you end up having to do yourself, and it's what my friend Skip Pritchard at Ingram calls the ugly stuff, you know, having to ship books and collections and receivables and managing inventory and all that kind of stuff. So traditional publishing is still an option, but I would say this, this is part of the future, and that is I think most publishing in the future will be digital first and print second because it affords the publisher an opportunity to test a lot, of more, hmm. a lot more ideas without a big investment on the front end. And so you can kind of see what works, tweak, relaunch, tweak, relaunch. And then once you've got it kind of honed down, then you can make it available in other formats. Do you think, do you see a time when people won't want to hold a, a, a piece of paper or, or 200 pieces of paper bound together? I, I think it depends on the person. I think a print book makes for a wonderful artifact. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's nothing like it. Yeah. But at the same time, like today, I'm, I'm, where I'm talking to you, I'm in my library at the, the house, and I don't have any space left for print books. <laughs> so when people want to send me books for review, I just say, please, send it to me on a Kindle or don't send it at all because I've got no room left. Yeah. So for me to be able to carry around thousands of books in a digital uh, e-reader is 
Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Michael. It was great visiting with you. Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, uh, is is a book that really everyone should uh, be required to read. And it's it's a, you know, I found it to be a very quick read. So it's something that, you know, you don't have to be thinking, okay, I'm going to launch a business, so I have to go out and get this book. I think everybody can can benefit from uh, the content in it. And I appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks, John.